0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. It is Monday. I just said that already. It is the Monday of Thanksgiving week. So we are steaming towards a holiday. But in the meantime, we have some soccer to talk about. We've got plenty of things coming out of a big weekend in Europe, in the United States, in Mexico, all over the globe. Soccer, soccer everywhere. Uh, go ahead and drink it all in. We are going to talk to our friend Charles Bohm in a couple of minutes about the MLS Cup playoffs. Because the uh, first leg of the conference finals went off yesterday in Columbus, in Portland. And we got some very interesting results. Both of the home teams doing very well in the opening leg. So that'll be a, a discussion with Charlie coming up. It sets up for some very interesting second legs next weekend. Uh, but we should start with... Other news around uh Europe and come to MLS here shortly. Let's uh let's start with uh the Clasico. El Clasico in Madrid, Barcelona crushing Real Madrid 4-0 at at the Estadio Bernabeu. Luis Suarez with a brace, Iniesta scores, Neymar scores, Messi returns to the field for Barcelona after his injury layoff. First time since September. Uh did not score, but obviously. Barcelona didn't necessarily need him at that point. Claudio Bravo starring in net for Barcelona keeping Real Madrid off the board and with Rafa Benitez under pressure. Zinedine Zidane says he is not uh, he is not going to be replacing Rafa Benitez or he has played down speculation that he could replace Rafa Benitez as the manager of Real Madrid. And of course, you lose to your biggest rivals for nothing. You fall behind in the league by six points in Spain, even at this point, even in November, that's a big number, and you're going to be under pressure if you're Rafa Benitez. Yet, there are reports today suggesting that Florentino Perez, president of Real Madrid, will back Rafa Benitez at a press conference uh, scheduled for today. So we will keep an eye on that to see if, in fact, Rafa Benitez has a job come the end of Monday. In the Premier League, Liverpool shocking Manchester City at the Etihad, four to one. Absolutely running roughshod uh, over the citizens there for the Reds. Manchester United deals uh, with their stri- short their striker shortage, excuse me, and wins two one at Watford. Chelsea beats Norwich one nothing at Stamford Bridge. Leicester on fire, three nothing winners uh, away to Newcastle. They jump up to first place, and Jamie Vardy. Uh, Leicester striker has equaled Ruud van Nistelrooy's record of scoring in 10 consecutive Premier League games absolutely fantastic story Jamie Vardy making his way up the ranks in English football and uh, arriving with Leicester who again now is in first place in the last week of November that is pretty stunning MLS playoffs actually no excuse me let's go to Germany Dortmund losing more ground to Bayern Munich with a 3-1 loss on Friday to Hamburg Bayern Munich, meanwhile, rolls on on Saturday with a 3-1 win over Schalke. Chicharito Hernandez scoring in his seventh consecutive match as Leverkusen wins 3-1 away to Eintracht Frankfurt. Wolfsburg demolishing Werder Bremen 6-0. So there's your German update. MLS Cup playoffs. The Columbus crew with a 2-0 win over the New York Red Bulls at Maffray Stadium in Columbus. Biggest crowd in uh, Columbus Crew playoff history on hand to witness Justin Miram scoring nine seconds into the match. Just uh, a brilliant start for Columbus. They went ahead and rode that uh, that goal out. Uh, added one late with uh, Kai Kamara picking up uh, a goal, uh, cleaning up a mess after uh, or cleaning up a, a rebound after Cedric just absolutely um, destroyed the Red Bulls defensive uh, backline or d- uh, defensive setup there. Uh, just slaloming around people, making Dax McCarty look ridiculous. Uh, so that's uh, that's a, a big win for Columbus. It sets them up very nicely going away to the second leg in New York on Sunday. There will be 27,000 people on hand at Red Bull Arena to push on the Red Bulls who uh, have a shot. I mean, let's, let's be honest. They do have a shot. They did not get an away goal, but they should be okay to at least give uh, Columbus a run for their money. Meanwhile, Portland. In their first uh, in their first leg against FC Dallas at home at Providence Park gets a 3-1 win Liam Ridgewell, Darian Aspria and Nat Borchers with the win, uh, with the goals, excuse me, for Portland. Meanwhile, David uh, Teshera scores for FC Dallas to give them an away goal at 2-1. You actually thought maybe FC Dallas was in good position to go home and with that away goal Uh, Put away Timbers, but when Nat Borchers tacked on that third goal for Portland, it puts them in a great position to go and finish the thing out in Frisco, Texas next Sunday. Both of the top seeds now behind by significant margins in the conference finals. We'll see if the upsets are coming. Sepp Blatter says he was quote-unquote close to death after being hospitalized for stress. He said he was Quote, between the angels who were singing and the devil who was lighting the fire. Okay, Sep, he said, I was very close to death, but luckily I never became unconscious in the 48 hours where I was really between the angels who were singing and the devils who were lighting the fire. It was the angels who sang. All right. He then went on to back Michel Platini as his successor as FIFA president. Both of those men, of course, suspended by the FIFA Ethics Committee for their, uh, for their role in a in a questionable transaction involving payment to Platini for work done uh 10 years before he was out, uh before he was actually paid uh, from uh, the FIFA coffers in college soccer we will have a new champion in 2015 defending champion maryland i'm uh, sorry defending champion virginia knocked off by maryland In the uh, round of 32 in the NCAA men's soccer tournament, number one seed Wake Forest, number two seed Clemson, number three seed Georgetown all win to make it into the third round. The matches for that round will be played November 28th and November Twenty ninth. So there's your college soccer update. Yeah, Robert on Twitter mentioning Liga MX had some nice matches this weekend. Club Tijuana with a big win over Atlas, two nothing. Atlas uh, in the dumps at the moment. Club America and Pumas in that derby match, one one in uh, in Mexico City. Uh, Chiapas three two over Pachuca. Leon three nothing over Dorados. Santos Laguna with a three nothing win at Guadalajara over Chivas. That's a big win for them. Monterey falling to Toluca. Three to one. It's, uh, it's interesting times in Mexico. We will look at the, uh, playoff matchups in Mexico, I'm sure, uh, over the next couple of days. But you do have, uh, you do have your matchup set up. Pumas versus Veracruz, Toluca versus Puebla, Leon versus Club America, Chiapas versus Tigres. All right. Now we will take a break. And when we come back, we will talk to our friend, Charlie Baum and he will tell us all about the MLS Cup playoffs. It is soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
0: welcome back to soccer morning on world soccer talk
1: with jason davis all right here we go back on soccer morning we are joined now by charlie bohm mlssoccer.com soccerwire.com ussoccerplayers.com excuse me Uh, Limited time with Charlie here this morning, but we definitely wanted to touch on the MLS Cup playoffs, the first leg of the conference finals in the books, uh, both East and West. And uh, Charlie, first of all, how are you?
2: I'm doing fine. Uh, Still still sort of uh, marinating in some of that drama we had last night.
1: Yeah, you know, it was um, both of those games provided some interesting storylines, and, and, and really, I mean, we'll get into the specifics of what happened in each one of those games here in a moment, Charlie, but do you think that there's an argument for the uh, f- for the higher seed having to go on the road in the first leg not necessarily being an advantage for those teams, in the, in this case, obviously, New York and NFC Dallas? Well, sure. I mean, this is something that comes up, I think,
2: pretty much every year. It's kind of an annual tradition in uh, MLS postseason. You can make a case for, um, for there being an absence of home field advantage, but, uh, it's hard to, um, it's hard to say what's a better approach. So of course we know that MLS owners want to host a game. They all want to host as many playoff games as possible because that's revenue and exposure over and above, you know, what they planned on for the season. Uh, but, um, that to, so that means you're looking at a minimum of a two game series. Um, in the early years, they tried, you know, three game series as well. Um, and that was pretty awkward too. So, um, you know, there's ways you could tweak it, but I think nothing's going to really make everyone happy at this point. You know, one game series would, would have some benefits to it, but it also shrinks the, the margin for error even further mm-hmm. for the higher seed. Um, you know, I've heard it suggested that, uh, we, we ditch the, the away goals rule. I've heard it suggested we ditch the goal aggregate in, in at all. You know, the old NASL did, uh, the two game series with just simply based on victories so it didn't matter what your margin of victory yeah. defeat was well, well, um,
1: that's been done in mls history as well three game series um in the past and and, and, and that's i don't know that's even odder from a soccer perspective uh, not that i'm necessarily tied to we have to do things the european way or whatever charlie but it is it is interesting well, to, the, the, what
2: i would say is um you know don't don't lose three to one. You know, don't don't lose. Don't give up a lot of goals. I mean, the sure. the, the fundamentals are the same here. M- probably the if I were were king, probably the only tweak I'd make in the short term is I would actually offer uh, the the hosting um, sort of situation to the to the discretion of the ho- the higher seed. So if FC Dallas really wanted to host the first leg, rather than go on the road in the first leg, let them let them choose that as soon as the matchup is known. And uh, and then you go from there. I, you know what I honestly suspect that in this particular case, for example, with Dallas, Portland, I have a feeling that Dallas would probably have picked to to host the second game anyway, because um, they love to have more time to sell tickets. So, right. you know, there's, there's business concerns at work here as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. All right, let's look at these games. Let's start in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Supporters Shield winning New York Red Bulls. Go to Columbus. Uh, sellout crowd, although not everybody in the house to start the match, Charlie. Long security lines. Obviously, things are very tense uh, around sporting events these days because of what happened in Paris. And, and so I don't necessarily blame anybody, although that maybe it should be streamlined a little bit better. But people missed the opening goal because Justin Merrim scores. Nine seconds in, and and really, if you're Jesse Marsh, if you're the New York Red Bulls, if you're that back line, you have to be incredibly disappointed that you let a long ball and a, and a Kai Kamara knockdown beat you nine seconds into the game.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a cardinal sin, really. And, and someone like Jesse Marsh, um, he's going to be pulling his hair out for the next week, uh, if not longer. Um, you know, giving up that goal. It's it's his team has been generally been very good in this department in terms of preparation, mentality, intensity. Um, I've seen them score. I mean, they they almost set an uh, an MLS record a few months ago during the regular season, scoring I think against Philly. You know, mere seconds off the kickoff, and it showed the sort of gulf in um, in, in intensity and and focus levels between those two clubs. In this case, you know, it really it was you know classic route one play that where where the uh, it came down to to you know missing out on one header and maybe maybe missing one opportunity to clear, and then all of a sudden you're you're down. So uh, these are the these are the moments that decide series like this, and uh, I don't know that it's necessarily the case. I actually, I actually think think uh, New York are still well in this series, but it certainly leaves them with a, a tougher mountain to climb. And, and honestly, it could have been worse if you look at how many chances Columbus created.
1: Yeah, they did create a bunch of chances. Um, they also kind of sort of out-pressed New York. Uh, we, we know the Red Bulls have, have leaned on, on Jesse Marsh's high-press uh, high game to, to to put them where they are. Uh, and Columbus, for their part, um, you know, certainly isn't a team to sit back. We know what their, uh, what their identity is. And both these teams tried to play to that identity. It just ended up that, that Columbus did a better job of it in this particular match. I mean, I don't know that we have any, we can identify why necessarily. It's just that, uh, for whatever reason, the intensity level was higher for the home side.
2: Well, I think you, as a home team in the, in the, that situation, you should have a, an internal clock going in your head. You should have a sense of urgency. Over and above even what you would what you would expect in the playoffs, because knowing you're playing the top seed, you're playing a team that that's very good at home in the Red Bulls, you, you've got to have that sense of um um uh, desire to to really cash in and make hay. And I could see the frustration was actually growing. You know, before that second goal when it was one nil, should have been more than that. Arguably, you could see uh, Kamara was was chirping a little bit as his teammates. Um, there was a little bit of frustration there. There was that 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 sort of um, desire to to go and get more and and cash in because you know if you create ten chances and you only put one away. You've left the door open for your opposition to, to, to punish you more effectively on the return lane. Yeah. So I think they had that desire and they, and it, and it served them well.
1: Yeah. Certainly they needed, uh, they, they needed to add that second one to feel, to feel good about their chances going back to New York and Cedric Mabwati, obviously, uh, uh dancing through, uh, the, the Red Bulls defense, making Dax McCarty look slow and then, uh, uh Kai Kamara cleaning up on the backside. Uh, so. If, if you know with that second goal, you have to like Columbus's chances, and yet as you said, certainly no real reason to think that New York's not po- not capable of a comeback here.
2: Absolutely, New York is is going to have a sellout of their own um, at Red Bull Arena. They've got a um, they've got a mentality and a, and an approach, a tactical approach that that tends to discomfort opponents that that can um, destroy well laid plans of uh, of bus parking or. Uh, or tempo controlling. And, and so the issue is going to be, you know, is New York going to be able to summon that same level of, of drive right from the opening whistle? If they get the first goal early, let's say you score in the first half, um, you know, it introduces so many doubts into Columbus minds. It, it, it gets the crowd, you know, riled up. I think Columbus will feel like, hey, we, if we get one of our own, then we're in great shape you know we can kill the tie off really in a lot of ways with an early goal be, uh, and do the same thing to the red bulls
1: yeah so. it'll be fascinating to see if if uh, you know how aggressive burhalter is to start that match with the the high level i mean that place is uh, uh, the, the loudest in the league uh, with that enclosed building with that full house and and to see or one of them certainly to see whether or not Columbus can, uh, is going to sit back and try to, to absorb the pressure that Rebels are undoubtedly going to, uh, to apply will be fascinating. I don't have, I have limited time with you, Charlie, so let's switch over to the Western Conference and talk about what Portland did. They get a 3 1 win and very much like Columbus. Uh, if not for that last goal, we might be talking about a very different feeling heading into the second leg.
2: Yeah, uh, amazing scenes in Portland. Um, and uh, you, you really, I uh, really feel, feel, um, terrible for uh for just gonzalez the young goalkeeper who um was really put in a, a crucible kind of environment um for you know you could argue the first time in his um, career as a starter and um you know it's you could you could say he was at fault on two of those goals but the, the third one particularly um just to, to sort of again much like the red bulls but at the opposite end of the uh, of the the clock if you if you make one slip up in that moment you can be really viciously punished and and two to one and 3 to 1 are so, such different outcomes in, in that series. I, I again I think Dallas is in great shape or sorry in in better shape perhaps than than they feel at the moment because they do have an away goal. They they too can push the tempo at their at their place. But um but just an enormous boost for for Portland. And, um you know really just digging out it's really two two very very scrappy goals bookending a a, a goloso from um from Aspria.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, you can't really account for that. Uh, some question of whether or not Jesse Gonzalez misplayed that shot. I, uh, I, I mean, I don't know what you do in that moment, and, and I, I think that uh, you know, lots of goalkeepers get beaten by by a ball that just moves that much, Charlie.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's important to point out uh, on on the strike that it was actually literally bent, uh, wrapped around uh, a defender. So he's got three three of his own uh, teammates' bodies screening him to some extent, and the shot itself. Given the movement and the pace it had on it, um, he's seeing it a- sort of emerge from his, uh, his teammates kind of upper body area. Uh, and, you know, just hit in a way that, um, was either genius or, or great, great good fortune by, uh, by Espria. This is uh, the, but you get the late look at it.
1: Yeah. This series very much just, and certainly Columbus and New York to, a, to, a, to a certain extent as well. Just show, you know, how, how fine the margins are, certainly in the playoffs and MLS, whether or not FC Dallas is overall a better team than Portland. It kind of doesn't matter in that moment when you get that goal from Aspria. when you, you get the, the set pieces for Portland all of a sudden come good. Uh, that's not something they've been great at. And then, you know, when you look at um, uh, when you when you look at what FC Dallas has to do at home, they they probably they probably can do this too, just like New York. And if not for, I mean, I I vividly recall Moro Diaz playing a, a an incredible ball for for Hollingshead that he couldn't put on frame. So there's, you know, th- these are the margins, Charlie.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I think Dallas has to feel good about many aspects of their performance. It's just that. Um, Leaking three goals in that situation is, is painful and, uh, um, it speaks to the atmosphere that the, the Timbers fans created and just the, 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 the relentlessness of the Timbers. Um, you know, they're, they're big guys, um, their two center backs, Borchers and, and Ridgewell coming up big at both ends, you know, pitching, uh, pitching up a pretty good, pretty good defensive performance, but also, um, scrapping out important goals uh, on set pieces. So, you know, we, we talk about set pieces so often, right, and, and they, they prove to be crucial on this occasion. I have a feeling that set pieces will play a role again in both of these return legs. Uh, the question is who's going to capitalize.
1: There you go. Charlie Boehm, MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, uh, USsoccerPlayers.com, CBOEHM on Twitter. Go follow him. Charlie, appreciate the time. It was good to talk to you. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll check in with, uh, with you again with the second legs.
2: Sounds great. You guys have a good show.
1: There you go. Have a good Thanksgiving. Charlie Bone. there. Let's move on. We've lined up. Chris, our friend Christian Hennage, he'll talk to us about the Premier League coming up. That'll be good. Let's do that. Jamie Vardy, probably going to feature heavily. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with
1: Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning. Very happy to have grabbed our friend Christian Henage, who joins us. He writes for many an Outlet. You can follow him on Twitter at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Christian, how are you? Very good, mate.
3: Thanks. How
1: are you? I'm doing well. We just talked about your lack of sleep. Um, Luckily, your lack of (laughs) sleep... can be attributed to the amount of football that you watch, uh, which, you know, who's going to complain about watching a lot of football? Certainly we've got the Premier League to talk about here, Christian. And, you know, I, I think my instinct, generally speaking, is to say, let's talk Manchester City, the big money club. Let's talk about Chelsea, the big club struggling. Let's talk about Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Let's talk about Liverpool and and their new manager, Jurgen Klopp. And yet I think that what I should do is talk about one of the smaller clubs who happened to be in first place Leicester and and certainly Jamie Vardy just they they go to Newcastle Vardy scores again they are now in first it may not last forever but tell me how remarkable it is
3: it's it's brilliant stuff you you have to add the further context of when Ranieri was appointed in the summer everyone thought it was a bad decision I remember Gary Lineker a a famous ex-Leicester player saying as much and You know, someone who's who's a bit romantic about these kind of things, it's the stories in Leicester as well. I mean, I did something on Jamie Vardy last week that you you can find uh, on the internet. Um, Talking to kind of the guys that he worked with in non-league and how he was just a very regular guy and how actually his game hasn't changed from the days when he was at Stocksbridge Park Steels in the 8th tier of English football. Then you've got Riyad Mahrez again. Another one who's got this great story. It, it's, it's so tragic in the sense that he lost his father when he was 15 and he vowed that he would become a professional to kind of continue his father's dream. And he had the chance to sign for PSG in Marseille when he was at La Havre, but he decided against it because he knew he wouldn't play there. And There's just so many great stories in this team. And to see them gel so effortlessly and and almost be the, the kind of self-made stars that they have become at Leicester, it's a brilliant story for
1: the Premier League. Certainly is, um, and, and, and it is. Is you know, they, they they take on this this image as the, the they certainly they are an underdog when we consider the financial clout of of the clubs that uh, are usually in that conversation. And, and again, this probably won't last, um, Christian. But give me a, give me a reason why it could. Give me a reason why we could look up after the festive period and maybe still see Leicester hanging around.
3: Because Claudio Ranieri took Chelsea to nigh on the, the summit of the Premier League. So, if he he has this very convoluted perception in the sense that his time in Greece the national team, it wasn't very good. Now, I think part of that was down to the players as much as him. You look at other parts of his career, Chelsea, Juventus, even Inter to a degree, he's done wonderful things with the football clubs that he's worked at and I think, arguably, he's a little bit underrated and I think He's come back to the Premier League and excuse me. I know some people said that he'd been away so long that things would have changed and it would be different. He's picked up right where he left off in that sense. And I think if there's one man in this league that I trust to kind of maintain his team's form, it's Leicester. Now, of course, there are things that go against them. They concede a a good number of goals, which now when the Vardy patch starts to, to wane slightly, that will be a true test for them. But look, I've seen stranger things, to be truthful. I've seen much stranger things than Leicester staying near the top of the league come January.
1: Certainly. Um, all right. Let's let's move on. And okay, so we've got uh, we've got Leicester at the top of the table. That's uh, that's a fantastic story, and we'll continue to watch them, uh, especially again as the festive period comes and, and really the Crucible. Um, is is that schedule? That very congested schedule. They are a point up on Manchester United. Manchester United, without Wayne Rooney, without Martial, goes to Watford and wins. No, no great strokes to to beat Watford. I mean, we we know that certainly. But in light of the 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 striker problem, and in light of Louis Van Gaal's comments about how he gets paid a lot of money to do basically nothing, <laughs> this is a very odd time at Manchester United. Here they are in second place.
3: They're getting the job done. They're not doing it pretty, but they're getting it done. That's all that matters. You know, to be honest, I felt more sorry for Troy Deeney than anyone. The the poor guy goes and scores a penalty and then about a minute later scores the own goal that then puts them behind again. The problem I think Manchester United have at the minute is they're almost wrestling with their own past. And the Sir Alex Ferguson, they were known for playing quite beautiful football at times. And I think they were known for dominating as well and having, it's not always... A technical superiority over the team definitely a mental one so that even if they were having a bad day you still felt nervous you still felt like if you made one slip or one mistake they'd pounce and you'd be a goal behind it was a very difficult thing to explain but you felt it the second you got in the stadium when your team was playing against them they don't really have that now there's not that fear and I think that was kind of shown again by the way that Watford attacked them and the way that almost every team that have faced them have attacked them there's not a fear in Manchester United at the minute and I think part of that goes on the shoulders of Louis van Gaal because he's not cultivating that reputation. He was seen as a a big name to replace David Moyes, to be more in the ilk of Sir Alex Ferguson in that sense. And I think part of his remit, whether it was written on the piece of paper that he signed or not, was to re-establish that mentality and re-establish that mental dominance, if you will. And it's it's something that I think he's actually... Neglected quite significantly, and, and it does
1: cost them. I think from time to time. It's yeah. I mean, uh, certainly the 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 character of Manchester United that sort of spewed out of of Alex Ferguson is maybe not something. I mean, is it possible to recapture that? I mean, obviously David. That, that's why David Moyes was not the guy there because he never he never projected that same sort of, Im, you know. Im, Im, curious kind of attitude that that, uh, that Alex Ferguson
3: had? It's very difficult. I think the problem is, if you look at maybe the other great clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona, the mentality isn't necessarily tied into the man that sits in the dugout or the, the person that sits in the dugout. At Manchester United, it is. It's kind of Matt Busby. It's through Alex Ferguson. It's difficult to get away from that when you've had it so intertwined. Is it possible? Yes. But again, you almost think that by getting away from the Sir Alex Ferguson legacy, you're going to attach it to another host. And that's the problem, is that when you've had such continuity to football club, especially, I think, in the modern era, you only look at really old who had a, a similar kind of stretch, but not nearly as much success. It is very rare. And, and that's the problem with Manchester United. It's such a unique beach to try and tame. It's not like any other... Of the big clubs in in world football, and I think that's something that those who try and work there seem to kind of miss when they, they arrive at uh, at
1: Old Trafford. Yep. All right. So uh, Manchester United with it with a win, but as you said, maybe some some ongoing um, issues to work out. I mean, at the moment, uh, sitting in a good position to make to make a title run. Meanwhile, Manchester City uh, sitting right behind Manchester United. Get stomped at home by Liverpool, and is this the culmination of the work that Jurgen Klopp's done to this point, Christian? Is this a a blip when it comes to City? Is this on Pellegrini? Where, where is where does this fall for you?
3: I think shades of everything, in the sense that you look how high Liverpool won the ball back on on Saturday evening. It wasn't like that under Brendan Rodgers. That's very much a a trait of Klopp. I think it's something that in truth every every writer worth his salt was looking for as soon as he took over how high do they win the ball back? What's the pressure like? Is it the Gagan pressing that has kind of become etched in our brains? And a lot of the traits are, undeniably. And I think they're benefiting from that because for me, I I think Liverpool's attackers are attackers that need space to work in. I don't think they're the kind that string maybe little neat interchanges right the way through the field. I think they can do it in short bursts, but you need to give them the space to work in. And equally, I think they're better working in kind of bursts of energy. As we saw with the goals at the weekend, it was win the ball back, burst, win the ball back, burst, that kind of uh, mentality. As for Man City, they've been poor at home for a while now. They've been particularly slow starters at home as well. I remember watching the, the Newcastle game and they were lucky not to be down by two, maybe even three in that game. And they ended up going, I think, 1-1 one, one at half time only thanks to the fact that Aguero managed to, to nab them an equaliser. There's something wrong with the mentality of that football club. I, uh, it's very difficult to put my finger on. Uh, something specific, but it it seems as if perhaps some of the players just aren't aren't right for that team in terms of they're, they're not the best fit. Equally, I mean, he left you know Fernandinho that out. I'm not too sure why. It's it's the juggling of the multiple competitions as well. They're kind of flittering between brilliance and and stupidity. And unfortunately, I think for for their sake, it was the stupid ones that turned up against Liverpool. Yeah,
1: you know, and, and Pellegrini made, Pellegrini made some some very Showy changes at halftime. Um, took out, took out Yaya Toure. I, 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 does that, does that indicate a? I mean, it's almost as though he's creating a problem. I mean, if they were poor, they were poor. Maybe that sends a message. But when you have a figure as large as Yaya Toure in that team, it, if they're going to succeed, Christian, I, you, you have to imagine that Yaya Toure has to
3: be part of it. He'd be easier off just cancelling the birthday cake he got at him then. That'll, <laughs> that'll, get, that'll get his ghost up much quicker than taking him off. I think Toure is another one of the problems in the sense that <clears throat> he's starting to look his age now. And the difficulty is with Toure is that when we think of him 50, it's the first forward. It's, it's synonymous kind of athleticism and, and driving the team, both in the figurative and the literal sense. The fact that he's not that player anymore he's not able to do that as consistently it's a lot It's kind of bursts now almost like the Liverpool team in that sense it's bursts of acceleration bursts of brilliance that's hampering the City team because they rely on that as an important dynamic and the truth is I'd be tempted to say it's possibly time to phase Yaya Touré out and try and find either a successor I mean I think they're in short supply I would argue that's why they've been looking at Paul Pogba I think they see him as a very similar midfielder who can drive through the central channel and, and take players on in, in that same style but they need to work on something because you can't stand still when you're a team with their aspirations you have to keep evolving you have to keep reinventing yourself in that sense
1: All right, let's, uh, let's look uh, let's move along let's look at Arsenal um, they, they fall this weekend uh, they've, got, they've got injury concerns uh, with Kogeland going down they lose to West Brom is this is this is this the annual, uh, you know, the the annual swoon that we're so used to
3: seeing with Arsenal? Has it started already? I think it started in their own heads. That's the problem with Arsenal. It, it's a mentality issue. It's, it's not an ability problem. The fact that, that Francis Coquelin is, is seen as this kind of make or break player, and you know, I, I watch some of the the fan channels and such, and they talk about knowing they were going to get beat the second Coquelin was ruled out. We have to remember, just last year, Coquelin was being sent to Charlton Athletic on loan to to get some experience. The fact that he can be such a a game-changing player, if you will, in such a short space of time, I think that speaks volumes of that midfield in terms of what it's able to do now. The central midfield, I I would argue, needs some investment. There's there's talent in the forward line. I think you could argue they need a, a truly brilliant striker, I think. To, to really shift them up the game, but central midfield needs something as well. Because even when Coquelin and Cazola are there, the dynamic isn't perfect. It still needs some kind of refinement, some kind of work. And the fact that Wenger isn't willing to spend well, well, that's an unfortunate trope that. We kind of go back and forth on depending on whether they're winning or losing. It's, it's, the truth is,
1: he has to spend money. It's so it's as you said, make or break for coca and just last year, you know, they, they're riding Aaron Ramsey. He gets injured, everything falls, everything falls apart. It, why is it? Why are the why are the margins so thin for Arsenal between t- title challengers and oh my gosh, are we going to make fourth again?
3: I think because they have a talisman problem. If you look at kind of the, the great Arsenal teams that we've had in our generation, it was a collection of brilliant players that all moved the, the ship forward together. It was a Vieira, Pires, Longberg, Henri, Bergkamp. There wasn't one star. Now, the problem is, I think, they've developed this kind of new theory whereby, actually, it's one that pushes them forward. The fact that Mesut Ozil costs a lot more than anyone else the fact Alexis Sanchez costs more than, than pretty much anyone else bar Mesut Ozil it breeds this almost talismanic idea that it's that one player who drives us on <laughs> you even talk to Arsenal fans they talk about needing that marquee signing some saw it as, as Petr Check. some felt they needed an outfield player to be the marquee signing it, you can't truly succeed with that talisman idea it, it's very rare that it happens the one that jumps out is Diego Maradona in the World Cup of, of AC6 that's a month, two-month-long tournament. It's not a nine, ten-month season where you've got to go away to Stoke and go away to, to Watford and difficult trips like that. That's the problem with Arsenal right now. Is yeah. I think the quality level has slipped. That's, that's the biggest problem. The quality level and I think almost the, the self-belief level has slipped. I remember Thierry Henry was perhaps one of the most arrogant players I've ever come across in, in the Premier League. And... Let let me be honest, as a as a neutral, as an away fan, I didn't like him that much. But that was kind of what made him brilliant, was that he knew he was good. Yeah. I don't see that same swagger in the current bunch, if I'm honest. I don't see this, the swagger of champions, if you will. And I just think it hurts them in these crunch moments to the point where when someone gets injured who has been important, like Coquelin, like Ramsey, the rest believe... Right, the, the house is falling. The, yeah, the sky is falling, so to speak, and they can't continue. Well,
1: and again, I mean, the the, the tactical brilliance of, of Wenger certainly in you know during the Invincibles and during that time period when Arsenal really was a title contender year in and year out. Over that, that was above whether or not he projected that same imperious attitude we were talking about with Sir Alex and what's going on in Manchester United. They don't ha- I don't feel as though Wenger projects that same sort of confidence
3: either. No, I, I don't think he does, to be truthful. I, I think his perception has changed. I've said this before, and it, I'll be honest, it tends to cause controversy. I, I think there is a generation of Arsenal fans that will go up with knowing Arsene Wenger as a nearly man. and Mourinho very harshly branded him a specialist in failure. They won't know him as the man who took them to an unbeaten season in a Premier League. And that's partly because the league has evolved. The league like any (laughs) professional sports league, has evolved. And the problem is is where Benga was once this innovator and brought the idea of regulated diets and all this kind of thing, and everyone's doing that now. So you have to go another step ahead. I don't think he knows where that step ahead is. And equally, I think he's far too loyal to the players he has. And that in turn breeds a problem in the sense that you kind of always work best when you think your job's on the line. It's a sad truth, but it's a truth. And I'm sure you and I know that quite well, being journalists of a freelance variety. Yes, absolutely. In that sense, I, I I don't see that with Arsenal. I don't see them. I see too much comfort, too much complacency within that squad, and complacency never brings you titles. Mm-hmm. All
1: right, let's uh, let's 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 talk about. Let's go down to the bottom of the table. Robert on Twitter wants to know, Christian, just how bad is Villa right now? and, and, and I mean. Is there any way back for them? They lose four nothing to Everton this weekend at Goodison. Uh, maybe you don't ever, maybe you don't expect Villa to go to Goodison and get a result, but to lose by that that margin and, and it just continuing this uh, this really horrific season that they're going through.
3: Villa is a bit like that, like a young child in that sense. And the, the way you say, "Look, I, I didn't expect you to win, but I expected you to put effort in." that's their problem right now, is they look devoid of effort. They look like 11 strangers that essentially met in the car park before the game. and that is quite a a damning indictment of of them and the situation they find themselves in. Their their signings haven't really had time to bet in because Sherwood ostracised a lot of the the French players. Now you've got Guardian, who at least knows them, but, (laughs) excuse me, I'd imagine doesn't know the, the English players that well. And they're fast running out of time. And, and you're right to say, no one expects them to get a result at Goodison Park. It's a difficult place to go. Everton are quite a vibrant young team, exciting young team. You expect them to put up more of a battle, though. You expect them to put up more of a fight. And they just didn't. And I think, to be truthful, having watched this league for a while, it was the kind of performance you look back on in nine months and go, yeah, they were dead certain for relegation at the time. And that's the problem with it. I, I personally think, and I'm I'm not one for really liking to make predictions. I think that are going
1: down this season. So we um, look we look at the table here, Villa and and Robert says, Are they Derby are they Derby County bad? I don't think they're Derby County bad, but that's uh No,
3: no, that was a that was a special kind of bad to be
1: fair. <laughs> that was uh, yes, historically bad. All right, uh, Christian Inez joining us. Uh, Christian Hennage, um let's uh briefly here and I, we already talked to Charlie Bowman about the playoffs, but I'd love to get your your take on last night's uh, action in MLS? Certainly, the way that that Columbus handled the Red Bulls. Maybe not the result isn't maybe not overly surprising. Although you were, you kind of would have had New York scoring at least a goal on the road. Uh, it was the way, it was the manner in which Columbus did it. I, I, don't, I don't know if they shut down New York, but certainly they shut down Bradley Wright Phillips. They kept a clean sheet, and this is a team not known for the defensive prowess.
3: Exactly. Now, what impressed me the most, and, and I wrote this kind of in my, my roundup today, is Columbus attempt the most long balls in Major League Soccer. They've also got the highest completion rate of those long balls. I think it's about 60%. <laughs> and if we look at Red Bulls, high pressure is kind of their MO. It's it's getting the ball recovered in their half, uh, in the opposition half, excuse me, and then turning it into a chance quickly. It's kind of gegenpressing. impressing I imagine, is a, a good term to use for it. The fact that Columbus used that long ball totally negates Red Bull's pressing. Mm -hmm. It puts them right on the back foot, isolates the (laughs) defence. And that's a defence without Damien Purnell, who, for me, is a vital cog of that team that is now missing. And I think we saw after nine seconds, essentially, that's the problem that New York face in the the second leg, is that they know Columbus are going to transition the ball very quick, and that will catch Red Bulls out, I think.
1: Uh, when we look at the Western Conference so that New York goes back home with the two nothing uh, deficit I, I think that you would still give them a pretty good chance in front of a vibrant home crowd at Rebel Arena meanwhile in the Western Conference Portland gets a three-1 win and I and I said this earlier Christian and I think this is certainly true it's that last goal it's that it's that it's not Borcher scoring the third that really makes you think that the that, Portland's going to see this out, that, that they've got such a large advantage on um, on FC Dallas now. I know Dallas has the away goal, but they're going to have to keep Portland off the board to have any chance, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, Portland seems pretty confident at the moment.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. isn't it? I think the last six that Dallas have played against Portland, only once have they managed to win by two or more goals, which is essentially, as you say, what they need in that second leg. I just thought they were naive mistakes. The, the defending on the set pieces was terrible. I mean, you know, Caleb Porter said he wanted a no a defender in that bunches. I don't think he expected them to to come up at the crunch moment like that. But again, it's it's almost the trope of of FG Dallas that we predicted for the playoffs is will the kids be under the bright light? They didn't against Seattle, but I think they did a little bit last night. They they looked nervous. Jesse Gonzalez kind of went from from hero to to slightly nervous kid in goal. I think for that third goal personally. And I struggle to see them reducing that deficit in the second
1: leg. Uh, we'll see um, what happens in uh, Frisco, Texas next Sunday. But right now, the two lower seeds looking pretty good to advance. We'll find out uh, what MLS Cup uh, final brings. And I'm sure we'll talk to Christian Henez about it. So, uh, Christian, appreciate the time as always. Um, deal with that that wind. <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>
3: Always a pleasure, mate. Thank there you, pal. This is
1: Christian Hinej, uh, Hedage. Very good for him. And um, we'll, become, we'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you on a Monday. Again, it's Thanksgiving week, so we're all kind of shutting down already. But we will talk some soccer. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. I'll read the book you like. I'll read the stupid phone.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason
1: Davis. All right, it's that time of the show where we open up the phone lines and talk to you about whatever's on your mind when it comes to soccer. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Jump on in. Let's talk MLS Cup playoffs. Let's talk. Premier League, let's talk about Leicester topping the table in England. Let's talk about Germany. Let's talk about Mexico. League of MX playoffs are set. I read out those matchups. I don't have them in front of me now, but we can go back and look at those matchups. Certainly some high-profile games coming in the League of MX playoffs. It's playoff time in North America. Something like that. Uh We have, uh, again, We we have Thanksgiving coming up. There's that continuing debate over whether or not MLS should try to own a day like the, the Friday after Thanksgiving, maybe bring MLS Cup to that day. Uh, clearly we're, we've got a little bit more time before we get to MLS Cup. So they're not crushing the schedule. We had the international break in the middle. It's, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. And, uh, we don't even know. Yeah. You know, obviously we don't know where MLS Cup is going to be yet, but of the, of the possibilities, there are some interesting ones. Um, we more than likely, where did, uh, where did Portland finish up? Uh, let me, let me see if I can look at the overall table here. Uh, 2015 MLS, MLS table. Cause obviously. All right. So Columbus, uh, 53 points, Portland, 53 points. What's the tiebreaker here? Columbus had 15 wins. Portland had 15 wins. (laughs) What's after that goals four. So uh it looks like it looks like uh, Columbus has the advantage there. So if Columbus advances and Portland advances then MLS Cup goes to Columbus. Um you know and, and there's also some talk out of this week and out of those first leg games where the two lower seeds won and and stake themselves to a good advantage in the in the aggregate total. Uh where both of these teams are smaller market teams. I mean certainly uh, you know, Portland smaller market than Dallas, Columbus smaller market than New York by 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 a factor of ten. We we know this. Is it bad for MLS? Is it bad? Like, is it bad for MLS if Portland and Columbus advance to MLS Cup final? Will that be bad for television ratings? Will be bad, bad. I mean, it two teams who play some fun soccer certainly. Columbus plays fun soccer. Portland's got some talented players. Duncan Nagby on the big stage. Those are great things. But you take it outside to a bigger picture and, and trying to capture some interest beyond the, the hardcore MLS fan base, and you wonder if that's a good matchup for the league. Let's go to Roberto up in Connecticut. What's up, man?
4: I actually want to answer your question about that small market. I don't think so, because you're looking at someone who is the top goal scorer in MLS, and that definitely is going to attract a lot of uh, viewers, don't you think?
1: I, I, I just don't think, think Kyler Kamara has a profile. I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, okay,
4: Trevor. I'm goal score in MLS. No, the I, I, goal look, in MLS is
1: I, no, and he's great, and I, lo- and I love the guy, and and he deserves to be celebrated, and hopefully, people do want to watch him play, but I just think that that when you de- when we deal with the unique condition that is Major League Soccer in America, it, it might not matter at all that he's the leading goal scorer. Tra- uh, Trevor's got Dallas and Columbus as being the worst cup you could get ratings wise. That's probably true. I think Portland does. Have a certain cachet because of their fan base because of some other maybe I, I don't know a couple of other things that may it may help the give them a ratings boost but again if Colum- it, no matter what Portland can't host MLs cup final they cannot so it's not as though you get the Timbers Army crowd as part of that game you would you would end up having Portland on the road in Columbus or in New York, and who knows how much that actually brings to the table what else you got Roberto?
4: Yeah, yeah, but I'll just say that the series isn't over. There's still a second leg. No, left sure. No deficit is know, but yeah. I say, very easy to overcome. Yes,
1: absolutely. These okay. are these are certainly. I I would say that of the two teams, New York is in a better position. Um, even again, even though FC Dallas has an away goal, I just think that you know they they're going to have a harder time of it. At New York's game lends themselves at home to pressing and scoring and giving Columbus fits. So we'll see.
4: Yep, that's one. I was just wondering if you um, have any thoughts about really the Copa Centenario being hosted in the cities that are being determined. Do you think that this is the biggest tournament the United States has hosted since ninety four World oh, Cup? I mean,
1: there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 beyond that. And I, I'm not going to make this argument, but you could cer you could say, look, the World Cup is the World Cup. There's no argument. It's the biggest tournament possible, and certainly. In in American soccer history, '94 will always be a, a turning point. Will always be a big moment. That without that, without that tournament, we don't. Who knows where we are right now? Mm. But if you're talking about the maturation of the American soccer community and what this tournament could mean to a generation of of people who grew up not knowing a time when there was no MLS, not knowing a time before the World Cup in ninety four, that this could be uh, not 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 bigger because you went from zero to sixty with the World Cup. But certainly if you're going from sixty to hundred, you're going a lot fast. you know what I'm saying? You're going a lot faster. This is a big this is going to be a big bump. This is gonna be a huge thing.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And God knows that this is gonna probably sell out every God knows that this is every match is going to sell out, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And that's why they're putting that's why they put every game in in you know in a big stadium in a big nfl stadium that's why that's why they're doing turf and and i wrote this look it's bad it's bad that they're doing turf it's bad that there's going not 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 playing games on turf it's bad that they're going to put sod on top of turf in some of these places okay there are other options stadiums wise that that are grass but they chose these venues to maximize the the money return and that's look that's that's a bad part of modern soccer, but it's also something we just have to deal with. And I would, I mean, obviously you're going to say, I would rather have a tournament in buildings with turf and sod over that turf than no tournament at all. So you kind of just have to, to swallow this.
4: Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, and just my last question. And it's about referring back to a class ago. do you think that had Messi started instead of Sergio Roberto on the right, that this match would have been different by any other way?
1: Um, you know, I watched uh, probably second half of that game, so I'm not, I'm not positive. Uh, you know, that was just that was just for me. That was an effort thing, and 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 it's going to be interesting to see what Perez says today. And I don't know when that that press conference is going off, Roberto, because they they did not they did not go out there and fight for. The badge and go out and fight for Rafa Benitez and go out and fight for that crowd at the Bernabeu. So what does that mean about where they are right now? And what does that mean about how they feel? I mean, we, we constantly hear that Ronaldo doesn't like Medina, that, that he wants Benitez out. I saw this morning. He go, uh, apparently R- R- Ronaldo goes to Perez and says Benitez or me. So why were you, why are you backing this guy? I mean, are you, are you making a stand against Ronaldo? Or are you, are, do you really believe Rafa Benitez is the guy? I don't understand.
4: I think it was a mistake entirely when they uh, sacked Car- uh, Carlo Ancelotti. hugely. Yeah, yeah. What was I mean, and, and, and notice and, this? Notice this as well. This these routes between El Classicals are happening five year circuit uh, circuits, don't you think? Two thousand five, uh, Barcelona won three zero at the Verneville. thousand ten, Barcelona won now at the Camp Nou. Two thousand fifteen,
1: Barcelona won now at the Verneville. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. Y- <laughs> I was looking this morning. You know, Perez has won in seven seasons in charge. Is one league title for Real Madrid. That's not. That's not the return you're supposed to get out of Real Madrid. No. Um, you know, and 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 you know, to to do, to to go with the star heavy program is great, making money, but it doesn't necessarily bring you titles. And, and they're they're dealing with that. Mm.
4: Yeah, no, that's the consequences they have. And I'm just one last thing, Jason. I've been hearing on on uh, Paraguayan radio. At the United States, and Paraguay will be playing a friendly in the. I think the, during the January camp, if I'm not mistaken, you said, you or said, you February said, March, one of those few months.
1: You said Paraguay. I've
4: been hearing it; that it's confirmed.
1: Paraguay? Is that what you said? Yep. Okay. You All right. Well, we'll keep Paraguay. an eye on that. Appreciate the call. Thanks a lot, man. Yep. No problem. I got uh, Roberto up in Connecticut. Let's uh, let's go. I'm pretty sure this is Robert in L.A., not Roberto in L.A. Hey, Robert. Hey. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, man.
0: Hey, I want to talk uh, the MLS playoffs, and uh, you were saying earlier that if uh, it looks like it's gonna it's gonna be hosted between your Columbus and New York, so that, it's on the East Coast, are you gonna be going there? Are You gonna take the train to New York or
1: Columbus? <laughs> uh, well, I can't take a train. Or fly to, over I, there. Yeah, I don't think that there's a train to Columbus. I've div- I've done that drive before. I did that drive for the last Dos Acero in Columbus, uh, USA, uh, Mexico. It's not a terrible drive. I could do it again. Um, I'm trying to think of you know, obviously New York's not that far away. It it I, it's possible I could make it up to New York. The problem is that the game's on a Sunday and that's uh you know, for my life, uh, Sunday things are are tough.
0: Okay, all right. Well, you, you just uh that Columbia. I was watching last night Columbus, They were playing a uh, they played pretty good and then I don't know, maybe just uh, New York didn't show up that day uh a lot. Of,
1: to saying like, got a lot of negative feedback. Yeah, I, I look the um I, Columbus played their game plan perfectly. Uh, give Greg Berhalter tons of credit for that. New York's now got to figure it out. I mean, this is why it's a two you know it's a two leg series. You don't it's not one and done. New York's going to have the crowd behind him. Um, behind them, excuse me, at Red Bull Arena, and that's uh, that's a big boost for them. It's going to be it's going to be loud. It's going to be packed. Uh, twenty seventh out, provided everybody can get in the building by the time the game starts. Um, so I, I think that there's a good chance here. If New York scores that first goal, let's say they go up, they go up one nothing in that game in the first twenty five minutes. Roberto, oh uh, sorry, Robert, let's see, typed it wrong. Uh, then that's going to be that's going to make for an incredible sort of uh, intense affair to see if they can get the second tie it up, and then whether or not Columbus is going to open up at all. I mean, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Columbus plays this defensively.
0: Well, yeah, I'm uh, excited. Uh, also, there was a lot of New York supporters that went there, uh, to Columbus, so I could see how many uh, Columbus make the trip to New York, and so it's going to be fun. Uh, looking forward to that one. And also, one more thing. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, since, uh, you know, all the regular soccer games were taking place all over the world. They were doing uh, those moments of uh, tribute for the Know that those horrible terrorist attack in in France and Liga and did, and I was watching a uh, Brazil league did, but I didn't see it in MLS. I mean, credit to the supporters because they were holding French flags at both Portland and uh, Columbus. And I know it's a little thing. Cause, uh, I, I mean, I, I want to make a big deal out of it. I, I just one thing that I know is,
1: yeah, I don't know if we d- if they did moments of silence or not. I guess the, I mean you know they they weren't on the broadcasts. So that's for sure. Um, I'll, I'll check into that. Uh, you know. I'm, I'm sure there was some there was some mention of it in the stadiums i i don't know i mean it's you're right robert there should be some sort of um you know there should they should be showing some sort of uh uh respect for for those who lost their lives and, and the, the way things are going it's just I, I don't know i don't know where the line is on that stuff well
0: yeah i mean i saw the supporters were doing so i'm gonna uh, give credit to them and that's Oh, I, all I wanted to say. I mean, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. It's just something that I know. I, I don't know if it was me or everyone. But uh, thanks for taking my call, Jason. I okay,
1: appreciate it. Trevor says he thinks they did a moment of silence in Portland. Uh, <laughs> we, well, we'll check. I mean, I, I, again, I'll, we'll check on that. It's, it, it's, it's a tough thing to to try to figure out. You know, how do we how how do we show our solidarity? Uh, you got people across uh, across the world doing that. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right let's uh the phone lines are, are quieting down we're past 10 o'clock i think it's time to go ahead and wrap up this monday edition of soccer morning thank you very much for partaking today again hopefully uh I'm sure you got some some holiday weekend or holiday week stuff lined up we will be here just to lay out the schedule today and tomorrow there is no web show on on wednesday that's a matter of travel and and some other things family wise i hope you'll forgive us for that we'll be back on friday so we'll have a web show on Friday. If you're a satellite listener, if you're a serious XM subscriber, shows today, tomorrow, Wednesday, satellite show on Wednesday, even though there's no web show, and Friday. So there you go. There's your schedule for your holiday week. Thank you very much to Mr. Charles Boehm, Mr. Christian Hennage. Go follow them on Twitter. They're fantastic people, and they love soccer just like you do. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. See you tomorrow i